the truth. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Common Room Podcast. I'm your host, CJ. I have TJ with me as always. Good to be here. And we have a very special guest, Mr. Russell Berger on. Hello, how are you guys? Doing well, sir. Doing how excellent. are you? Doing good, thanks. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Oh, yes. Um, so let's just, let's just jump right in. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, uh, and some projects you've worked on. Yeah, uh, so... As you said, my name is Russell, and uh, I became a Christian, gosh, it must have been 2010 or at this point. I'm starting to feel a little old. I'm young in Christ, but uh, my joints are feeling old. Um, and, uh, you know, after I became a Christian, uh, my wife and I experienced a lot of hardship, uh, medical issues in particular with her health and, and our children. And, you know, one of the things that really shaped our faith early on was trying to understand how suffering, physical suffering in our case, should be understood through the lens of the gospel. And in that, we ended up making friends with a guy named Brandon Kimber, who is the uh, director, producer for a film series. The first one he did was called American Gospel, and uh, that was American Gospel Christ Alone. He's since then produced another one, American Gospel Christ Crucified. He's actually working on a, a third and probably a fourth at this point, but he has a, their, their company has AGTV, which is a streaming service where you can find those films. Uh, and those are really basically, they're designed to combat false gospels. So the prosperity theology, uh, liberal theology, anything that's a direct threat to gospel truth, uh, that, that brother and his production company have made films that are just fantastic for showing those contrasted against biblical truth in a way that people find really helpful. So that's probably how you guys found me. I'm guessing. Yes, uh, we also have a podcast, um, defend and confirm podcast. I'm a co-host with a brother named Sean DeMars. Who's also part of American gospel. And we've been doing that for a little over a year. We took a break a while back and have gotten back into it. Um, we're at about over 50 episodes now, I think. Oh, wow. And, uh, and and yeah, we're uh, right now. I'm I'm living in North Alabama. I'm a full time caretaker for my wife, who's who's disabled. She has a terminal illness and uh, not able to kind of really work outside of that responsibility right now. So I use my free time to uh, fill pulpits here and there and help our local church and mm -hmm. and work on this podcast. Amazing. That is really cool. That's an awesome story. Uh, well, we. Uh, CJ and I are passionate uh, about talking um, about this topic, critical race theory. We believe that it is um, important to address. I think especially today in this culture, um, a lot of people just don't know what it is. And that word might be thrown around um, here or there. And so we want to talk about it today and, um, and we would appreciate your thoughts on it. So can you define for us what critical race theory is? Yeah, and I'm glad you're starting there. I mean, basically, unless you've lived under a rock, you've heard about critical race theory, but it's not an easy thing to define. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of people who are trying to define it. Mm. Uh, even when you start talking about things that end up being critical race theory, many of the terms used are not well defined. And so these conversations, 
end up getting pretty contentious. And a lot of it is because there's genuine disagreement. And sometimes it's just plain old misunderstandings and people not being careful to express clearly and and articulate you know what they mean by the words they're using. So starting with the definition of CRT is a very helpful beginning place. Um, and you know CRT is critical theory in general. If you want to speak more broadly, like contemporary critical theory is a really wide sort of web of ideas. Um, so the best way to define something like critical race theory um, is to look at its primary pillars. What are the what are the basic tenets of this thing in every form it comes in? What are those hallmark features we keep seeing over and over again? Uh, probably the, the best way to distill that down would be listing six of them. Mm. So the first one, and this is the most important, is critical race theory's foundational belief is that racism is the norm. In other words, racism is everywhere. Uh, it's permanent. It's a normal part of our society. Another way to say it would be that it's endemic. Uh, and this is because critical race theory advocates assume that anywhere there's a negative racial disparity in our society, that disparity is always and only the product of racism or, or racial discrimination. So, I mean, you guys are, just give me an example of a racial disparity you guys are aware of in society. Um, I know that someone who I'm close to, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I know someone I'm close to told me that they think that our college in our town um, doesn't care as much about the colored or I don't know, colored community. Yeah. So they put their their meeting room, their office in the basement of of a building, as if as the the like that's a, so they blame the school being racist because they put their office at the basement. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, what yeah. So no, that's a good, that's actually a perfectly fine example. So <laughs> that I think would be an instance of someone perceiving a disparity. And then the explanation for why that disparity is there is always, through the lens of CRT, racism, some form of discrimination. Uh, and so, you, you know, when we start looking closely at, at CRT, you're going to have to ask the question, is that a real racial disparity or is that a perceived or misunderstood racial disparity? Mm-hmm. I don't know the details of that situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is real. Uh, maybe it's not. But there are definitely plenty of real racial disparities in our nation. You know, for example, the incarceration rates between black Americans and non-minority white Americans are vastly disproportionate. So there are a whole lot more black people in jail than there should be based on just just the facts of how many black people there are in our country. So there's far more blacks in prison than whites. Why is that? Well, CRT doesn't really, uh, they're not particularly concerned with defending any kind of complex explanation or asking questions about why that is. It's just racism is the answer, always and only racism. Um, And, you know, this is where you get the term structural racism or systemic racism, which is racism that's sort of baked into the fabric of society. And there's good historical examples of this. You know, if you look back at our country's history, we had even after slavery, we had Jim Crow. So we had legal barriers that were causing, particularly in the South, black Americans to be at a disadvantage because discrimination and racism was in the law. It was written into our uh, public policies and into our, our laws. And so that would be a 
very clear-cut example of something like systemic racism. And so CRT now would say, even though we don't have those legal barriers, there, is, there isn't actually legal discrimination. When we see disparities, we should just assume that there's some other form of, dis, of discrimination going on under the surface, sort of the mysterious, smoky, hard-to-see racism that we only know is there primarily because the disparity is there. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar of critical race theory is that CRT rejects classical liberalism. Mm. So uh, classical liberalism, when I say that, what are you hearing? (laughs) Classic liberalism, I'm thinking of maybe like uh, – my first thought is like Marxism, like the idea of – I forget his name, um, uh, Karl Marx. That's that's who yep. I think of as a classic uh, liberalism. Okay. Yeah, so you're wrong, but <laughs> you're wrong in a very normal way. Okay. Uh-huh. That's why I asked. So most people here are liberal, and they're thinking like the radical progressive left in our political spectrum, uh, which is going to be very sympathetic to Marx. They kind of hijack that term. So classical liberalism would be the uh, sort of the ethics and societal views of, of sort of people like the founding fathers. So the post-Enlightenment Protestant way of viewing the world emphasized individual liberty, religious freedom, separation of powers, protection for minorities, property rights, uh, universal Christian virtue. Uh, these, are, these are ideas that basically America was built on. And we're pretty revolutionary, if you look at the whole of history. Uh, we're deeply rooted in, in Protestant Christianity. And uh, honestly, these were the same views that were behind things like uh, much of the civil rights movement itself. Uh, so if you think of the, the famous quote from Martin Luther King, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That was a very traditionally liberal view in that. You know, we want equality under the law. We want people to be judged by their, their character and their, uh, their morality. Uh, we're looking at for a colorblind society, a meritocracy, if you will. Mm. And critical race theory says, nope, that's not good. Um, critical race theory rejects virtually all of those virtues. And they see uh, the political and legal and, and moral views of classical liberalism as being just white supremacy uh, hiding under a, a veil. That makes a lot so of sense. This is why CRT advocates are so strongly opposed to what they call colorblind racism. Um, and again, this kind of all goes back to their assumptions that all negative racial disparities are the result of racism. And so they see that the left, the, uh, they see that the civil rights movement which had all these enormous legal victories and which was pushed forward by classical liberal ideals, they see it as having failed. And so their revisionary view of history is that actually that was just a big smokescreen for white supremacists to make it look like they cared about racial equality and just gave them a way to maintain white supremacy underground in a less, in a less obvious way. So they reject everything that classical liberalism stands for. Uh, the third tenet here would be something called standpoint theory. Have you guys heard of this one? I have not. Nope. Or standpoint epistemology. Yeah, so basically 
and this is not unique to critical race theory. This is this is critical theory more broadly, which we can talk more about that and where it all comes from. But but basically, critical race theory says that the experiential knowledge of oppressed or marginalized people, and in this instance, darker skinned people, uh, is is essential to understanding and analyzing society. Um, and in fact, they would generally all agree that that gives those who are oppressed or marginalized something of an advantage in understanding truth. Now, that may not sound super controversial. I mean, you guys have probably had personal experiences that gave you insight into the inner workings of, of something that not everybody would know. So, you know, this is why diversity is actually a good thing. You know, if, if you're at a church and you have, uh, Lord willing, you have plural elders, you have multiple pastors there, it would be great to have pastors from different backgrounds uh, with different skill sets and experiences because they can contribute to the shepherding of your of your congregation based on that. Um, now, a lot of Christians hear this and they think that's what CRT is talking about. That is not the case. So CRT is actually leaning on something called standpoint theory. And that theory in essence, functions like this. If there are two groups or two individuals and they're, they're trying to figure out how society is functioning, but they disagree, whoever is the oppressed and marginalized person, well, that person's right. Every time. That's how it works. And so this is how it plays out in conversations. Um, you know, if you've ever interacted with somebody on this and you offer a view that's different than the CRT view of society, they don't generally engage with data or empir you know, empirical evidence or, or reasoned arguments, mm -hmm. they will say, yeah. this is my experience. You can't question it. Yep. This is the experience of people of color. Uh, you are assaulting me or you are committing violence against me or dehumanizing me or trying to cancel my experience by questioning what I say. And so, you know, you have critical race theorists, uh, you know, counseling white people to just basically believe your black friends, no matter what they say, get over yourself. Um, and so it, it really is an implicit being, being told to implicitly trust that the CRT position and the argument is, is because this, you, you have an oppressed people, they have the advantage in understanding how society works. And unless you're one of them or unless you trust them, you will be in the dark. So that's sort of the, the way CRT views knowledge. Um, you know, there's there's other pillars there, uh, an emphasis on social justice. You know, very uh, CRT is not just a description of how society works. It's not a it's not a neutral obs observation of society. It very much is uh, a, a system that seeks to enact particular changes. So whereas like in the sciences, you might observe something, you're, you're looking at what is happening. Uh, religion, on the other hand, looks at things and says, this is what ought to be happening. Mm. You know, Christians have the, the ethical backing to say, here's how society is, but this is how it should be. Well, CRT is the same way. It functions very much like a religion and that they believe there is a particular goal they're trying to get to. Generally, that is the redistribution of power and resources to cure, if you will, the racial disparities that they see in society. Mm. And so that's why there's such a strong emphasis on activism. Um, this is why you get the, the Black Lives Matter movement and so much of the, the violence and chaos we see in the streets is they're actually trying to, to pressure policy changes and make things happen that fit with how they think society ought to look. 
Um, you know, another one would be uh, the idea that race is a social construct. Um, one of the major pillars is that CRT says race is actually just a political tool that the dominant white society uses to pr- oppress the minority, the dark colored skin minorities in a society. Um, and that it's a made up thing that, that comes, that goes back to colonial times. And in one sense, we should agree with them as Christians. You know, race is not a biblical concept. There's one human race. You know, we have different skin colors, different ethnicities, different cultures. Yeah. And it is a biological reality. You know, it's, it's part of our DNA that determines what our skin color will be, but it's a pretty trivial one. Um, but, you know, classical liberalism would say, hey, guess what? If race is just sort of a made-up social category, we shouldn't care about it, mm. and we should emphasize treating people as individuals regardless of their skin color. Mm. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, CRT denies that, yeah. actually. You know, again, they reject classical liberalism, and they see, even though race is a social construct, they basically make it everything. You know, this is where you get intersectionality. They elevate your racial identity, despite yeah. the fact that it's a social construct, as they see it. They, they elevate it above all other identities. Um, and they speak about identities as these monolithic racial groups. This is why you get the weird kind of things that pop up in headlines every now and then where President Biden can say, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Yeah. Or NPR can run an article that says Kanye West shows why black conservatives aren't black. I mean, this, is, this sounds crazy. Yeah. Like, if black is a skin color, then Kanye West is black, whether he supports Trump or not. But that's not really how they talk about race. Again, they, they see it as a social construct. So they, they really they view whiteness and blackness not as skin colors as much as groups in a, in a binary who are constantly in a struggle for power and resources. And so blackness becomes a category that describes oppressed, marginalized, virtuous people and whiteness becomes a category with all these bad cultural and social values of the oppressor. Uh, this is why Coca-Cola can do uh, employee training at their corporate office that tells you to be less white. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, and if you don't understand this, it's one of those things I was trying to explain in the intro. That's why people get so confused yeah. when they try and engage people who view race this way, because it sounds completely different than what probably we're used to, to saying and thinking when we say black or white. Man, that's so good. There, you know, you talked about Coca Cola. That just makes me think. Uh, even like the um, the public schools and with their teachers and how they're addressing uh, diversity training and quotations yeah. um, is just. I, I firsthand have an experience because I know somebody who um, is a teacher and has been through that. So yeah, um, it's 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 terrible. It's not good. It's, it's contrary. Yeah. It's called, it's called racism. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And that kind of like kind of leads us into our um, next question. You did such a good job of like um, defining definitions and talking about it. But as far as a believer is concerned, um, how is critical race theory contrary to a biblical worldview? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the one of the red flags that Christians should see pop up whenever they start talking with with or about critical race theorists and, and, and CT in general, it actually has to do with where these ideas come from. Uh, and that's not to say that an idea can be true or false based entirely on its origin. That's actually a fallacy called the genetic fallacy. 
But when you understand where an idea is, is coming from and you can sort of trace its lineage, it helps you to better understand what it means and then make a better decision about whether or not you should reject it. Uh, and contemporary critical race theory is derived from critical theory. Uh, sometimes in academia, it's just called theory with a capital T. It comes in a bunch of different flavors, but it's primarily associated with uh, neo-Marxists. Mm. And so the neo-Marxist school of thought uh, was, was basically Marxists who were disillusioned with the failure of, of Marx's grand theory of the proletariat rising up and taking over society. And, you know, this is, this is post, the, post the failure in the USSR. Uh, they've tried it in Europe. It's, nothing's worked. So they kind of retooled Marx's view of society. And unlike Marx, who focused entirely on seizing the means of production, you know, that's how he was going to get the working class in charge of the society and, and flip, flip the scales so that the oppressed were now the oppressor and, and kind of flip society on its head. Well, the neo-Marxists decided that that hadn't happened because they needed to attack the cultural institutions of a society. So they believe that the path to communist revolution would be a long, slow march to the halls of public universities, newspapers, television, movies, and churches. Mm. And I mean, you, you can see how that's in the last 50 years worked through our country. And so CRT is part of the same family tree. It gets its name critical, you know, critical race theory. Because like all of critical theory, it takes a very skeptical, critical, pessimistic view of Western values, uh, Christian religion, institutions, and social norms that, that they reject. Um, and, you know, from this, you start to see the features of CRT, kind of where they get their ideas from. One of them is Marx's conflict theory. So Karl Marx had a view of society that basically said all of society is best understood as a constant struggle between the oppressed and the oppressor. And Marx said, you know, there's only so many resources in a society. It's a finite pool of goods, and you have people fighting over them. So if somebody has goods, they're an oppressor because they only have those goods by not sharing them with the oppressed. And so you, like, basically Marx saw society as like a big game of hungry, hungry hippos. If you've ever played that, like, yeah. <laughs> literally just everybody's trying to gobble up all the goods and whoever gets the most is the oppressor and the people who don't are victims of the oppressor. Well, you know, that, there's, a, there's a variety of reasons that Christians should reject that worldview. Um, you know, is, anybody who's read the Old Testament, particularly the prophets, will see that oppression is real. Oppression is a category that the Bible recognizes, and it is sinful, and it's, I mean, it's basically taking advantage of people in an, in an unjust and, and, and wicked way. But CRT says that's the only thing that's ever happening. There's always an oppressor group, and there's always an oppressed group. And the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that oppression is a possible reality. It does not say that is how you must understand all of society. Mm. So borrowing from Marx, they've said, you know, there's only so much power and resources. And in our society, that's been um, unjustly taken by whites. And and blacks and minorities have had that power and resources taken from them. And therefore, they are victims of whites. This is where you get the idea of white privilege and the idea that you just by being white are morally culpable for this dynamic. Uh, and, and it's just not true. You know, if you look at Marx, one of his biggest flaws in this understanding of society was that he did not grasp that you can actually 
increase the resources in a society. You know, if you imagine it like a pie, you can only cut a pie up into so many pieces. But it, what if you make the pie bigger? Mm. You know, now, even if you had a small piece before, that small piece is bigger. So you can create wealth and value and opportunity and power and, and authority in new ways within a society through a free market, through uh, the exchange of goods and ideas. And this is something that Marx fundamentally missed. And we should reject Marx's conflict theory um, because it just doesn't match up with what we see in reality. And it certainly doesn't match up with what we see in scripture. Yeah. And that's, that's a subtle distinction, but it is important because if you're told that oppression is possible, then you need to guard against it and repent of it if you're guilty of it or look for it in society. That's fine. But if you're told that oppression is the norm mm. and all societies are marked by oppression and oppressive relationships, then you're basically just looking to figure out which one you are. And if you're not really oppressed, that creates enormous problems of division and, uh, and larceny of the heart and suspicion of your fellow neighbor. And if you are told you're an oppressor and you're not actually oppressed, yeah. well, you've basically been told that you're guilty of a sin that you've not committed. You need to repent of it and work against it. Uh, and, you, and you can very easily, through the CRT mindset on social justice, start stumbling into an, a religion of works where you're endlessly trying to repent of a social dynamic that you had nothing to do with. So there's some significant reasons to reject it there. Um, you know, biblically, we should also reject the idea of standpoint epistemology or the standpoint theory. Um, as I said before, the idea that someone's personal experience gives them unique access to truth is 100% biblical. Mm. You know, I, I think of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, sold into slavery, uh, ended up a servant for the, uh, for the Pharaoh. Um, you know, while he was working for the ruling class in Egypt, he was accused of uh, attempted rape, thrown in a dungeon. And he knew, you know, before God, I'm going to stand someday and I'll be vindicated for this. Yeah. His personal experience was that I am being oppressed. I am unjustly sitting here in a dungeon. I did nothing wrong. Mm. And there's genuinely, uh, there's truth to the notion that a person's experience can reveal truth and help us understand things. But again, that's not what CRT is teaching. CRT is teaching that if you claim to be oppressed, or if you are even legitimately part of an oppressed group, that you have an, an advantage that means you understand the dynamics of society in a way that the oppressors cannot. Mm. And that's also just not true for a variety of reasons. Um, the first and most important is that that does not give us a tool for determining whether or not you were really oppressed. Mm. And so if you think you've been oppressed, but you actually just misunderstood a situation, um, you know, for example, uh, let's say you get, uh, you sit down on a park bench and the person next to you is of a different skin color. And as soon as you sit down, that person starts to fidget and then they get up and walk away. Well, you could add that to the list of ways you've been discriminated against for your skin color uh, because that's what you're looking for. And there's a cognitive bias there where you just start tick ticking tick marks for every time you've been discriminated against. When in reality, maybe your perfume or your cologne was too strong and that person mm. has allergies. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a million different reasons why you could mistake your situation for one in which you've been discriminated against or oppressed against. But CRT says even if you claim to be oppressed, by the very nature of that claim and the, and the social group you fall into, you should be believed 100% and your narrative cannot be questioned. Mm. 
Uh, and that's just dogma. That's that's foolishness, and it is utterly unbiblical. Yeah. So, I mean, there's other ways as well that, you know, the way this worldview unfolds that we should question. Um, the, the very notion that there's disparity, racial disparities in our society, and those racial disparities must always be understood to be the result of racial discrimination is also unbiblical. Mm. Um, without a doubt, racism can create racial disparities. And even some of the racial disparities that we see in our society today uh, could be in part because of racial discrimination. Um, but basically, it's presenting us with a false dilemma. Like either all of this is racism or there is something um, inherently inferior about black people that makes them fall into all these disparities. There, you know, there's, there's something inherently inferior about black people that makes them commit more crime or makes them... Uh, not seek after well-paying jobs or makes them have broken families. Mm. It's that or it's white people are racist and holding yeah. them back. Yeah. And that's just, a, like I said, it's a false dilemma. There's, yeah. there's, there's more than two options there. And the Bible teaches us to reason. You know, reason is a gift from God. It's one of his attributes. And so we should use our powers of reasons to ask deeper, more meaningful questions and look at data and say, you know, actually there's other reasons that are external that could be affecting the health of the black community that have nothing to do with white racism and nothing to do with uh, some mis- you know, mythological black inferiority, which is just another form of racism. Um, and, and those third options are literally not allowed in these discussions because of the starting point of CRT, you know, because they assume certain things that are unquestioned by their ideology. And it's, it, honestly, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's, it's sad because of the results that that leads to. Wow. Thank you so much for that. That was very in depth. Um, so I, I've, I've heard the term thrown around that. Um, I think James White said, if, if your church is woke, your theology is broke. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard like that wokeness related to churches um, yeah, yeah. thrown around. So do you think that uh, CRT critical race theory is creeping into the church? And is that something that we should be worried about? Is that a threat? Yeah. I don't even think it's creeping. I think it's just walked, <laughs> it's, it's walked in the front door. And uh, yeah. And, and you're seeing division in the church because of it. Um, you're seeing division between people who embrace CRT and who don't, mm. uh, but you're also seeing division as a fruit of CRT. You know, as I mentioned before, CRT teaches that if you, you know if you look at society, there's a lot of racial disparity. CRT says that is the fault of racist white people who are even unconsciously contributing to that system of racism that's oppressing you. Now, imagine what that does in the mind of a black brother or sister when she sits next to her white, you know, fellow church member and recognizes, oh, that's the person who's subconsciously racist and mm. is oppressing them. And the, the amount of paranoia and, and, and at times probably even hatred and confusion yeah. that creates is, is absolutely harming the unity of the church. Yeah. On the other side, you have, you have white Christians who are being told, you're guilty of a sin that you didn't even know you committed, and now you can you can try and repent, but you've got a lot of work to do before we see the fruit of that repentance in society. So mm. get on the treadmill of works and, and start after it. Mm. Um, and if you have white brothers and sisters who, like James White, reject CRT, well, look at how those people are treated by CRT advocates. Yeah. You know, either you're with us or you're a white supremacist. 
There's no in between. Mm. Um, either you're with us or you are defending racism. Um, and I, I've seen people handle that well and remain charitable and loving, but I've seen people who just get sick of it. And at that point, they just turn off and won't even listen to anything about justice in society because they just associate it all with this neo-Marxist, you know, critical race theory. And so it creates enormous division. Um, black brothers and sisters who reject critical race theory are treated the worst of anyone in this lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are, if you are dark skinned, African-American, black, and you reject this, you are called an uncle Tom. You are told you're not really black. As we've mentioned to you before, you are, I mean, called, called names that I can't repeat and yeah. wouldn't um, because you're basically treated as a traitor against your own people. Oh, uh, so it is wickedly divisive. Uh, and, and that is my biggest concern with CRT is that it is a gospel issue because it's affecting the body. Yeah. It is dividing the body over uh, a false and often mythological assessment of society's ailments. Um, and, and, you know, that that is... One concern, you know, genuine concern for brothers and sisters to be unified in Christ. But a second is that I, you know, I generally, genuinely, and this is true of uh, Sean, who does our podcast, we do our podcast together. We genuinely care about these race issues. We genuinely want to see these negative racial disparities get better and go away. We want racial equality um, yes. and we want racial harmony in the church. And basically, CRT because it gets the diagnosis wrong, the treatment that it brings to these racial issues does far more damage than anything else could. I mean, it's kind of like a grease fire. Like you have this fire and everybody's like, oh no, it's a fire. What do we do? Well, CRT says, I got this. And they take a big bucket of water and they throw it on the grease fire. Um, And so things are, yeah, things have gotten phenomenally worse as a result of CRT. Uh, you can see this in statistics. So since the 1940s, uh, and, and this is a statistic that's hard to find because it's suppressed because it goes against CRT's narrative. Mm. But since the 1940s, um, there have been annual public polling studies done to determine sort of the racist temperature of the United States. So polls that say, let's look at, at the majority of the population and let's see how many racists there are out there, how many racially prejudiced attitudes we can measure, you know, how, how do white people view black people and vice versa. And since the 1940s, racism as an attitude and a belief system has declined every decade. It is significantly better than it was now in the 80s. In the 80s, it was better than it was in the 60s. In the 60s, it was better than in the 40s. And so racism is, is going away. Mm. Racism is better than it's ever been. And yet our beliefs about racism, this is interesting, studies done to ask people how big of a problem is racism or how are racial relations between blacks and whites within the last 10 years, it is uh, those who would say that we have very big problems with racism and racial relations, that number has jumped like 30%. Mm. So as racism is getting less and less of becoming less and less of a problem, our belief that racism is a bigger and bigger problem is going up. And so here you see the massive disconnect between what CRT thinks the problem is and what the problem actually is. And so that's only going to create disunity. Yeah. Mm. Well, that that's, that's so good because we've, you know, defined what critical race theory is. We've talked about how it's contrary to a worldview, um, how it's just basically walked into the church. Um, and so as for our last question, 
and this mm-hmm. is this is perfect. How how can somebody find unity in a time where re- racial reconciliation is is so big in our society? Yeah, um, that's tough. You know, I think first and foremost, you just need to be really careful not to be misunderstood and not to misunderstand others. Um, like I said in the beginning of this, conversations on this topic are difficult. It's always best to sit down with somebody in person. It's always best to ask questions like, hey, what do you mean when you say that? Or what do you mean by that word? I want to help me understand where you're coming from. Mm. Um, and, and that's important, not just so that you don't get misunderstood uh, or, or you don't misunderstand what somebody else is saying, but because you want to build a rapport with, with anyone who you're talking about on this issue. Um, you know, emotions run very high for a lot of people on this topic. And it can be very helpful to just write up front, like just show your genuine concern and care for racial issues and and disparities and reconciliation and use that as a place to start so that people don't have their guard up. And so, you know, the people you're talking to aren't just immediately on on the defensive. Um, It also means, you know, it's it's important, I think, to show and value Ethnic diversity is one of the many diversities that we have in our church. Um, you know, so we should look to, and I mentioned this earlier. So thinking of like plural elders, it would be awesome as a church to have an elder who is, has a background in business and an elder who has a background as a janitor, you know, an elder who is, a uh, not had any kind of corporate experience at all, works with his hands, you know, um, and, and that diversity of experience not only strengthens the church, but it glorifies God because it shows that the gospel brings a unity to his people that, that transcends the sort of normal affinities that we would have for people who are like us in the world. That's true of racial diversity as well. You know, if the Lord gives your congregation an elder qualified man who's a different skin color than you, that's a blessing to your church. And it's a way to glorify God by showing that ethnic diversity is uh is something that is, is no barrier to the gospel. And so being willing to and, and looking for those opportunities to express unity um, in, in that way, I think is a really good way to to challenge a lot of the, the narrative that's out there about white supremacy and racial division and, and disharmony. Um, at the same time, you know, that, that can be done very poorly. You know, you could, I've, I've known churches that literally withheld appointing qualified brothers into leadership positions in a church because they were too white. Mm. And at the same time, we're quick to appoint brothers who were not white, who probably shouldn't have been elders because they were trying to sort of meet a quota. And that's incredibly dangerous. So I want to just, it's a nuanced point, but I'm saying like, if, you know, if the Lord provides those opportunities, take advantage of those. Um, Because we are more divided than we've ever been in my lifetime on the issue of race. And so there are simple steps you can take to just to show, you know, that the dream of the the MLK sort of classically liberal civil rights movement that we don't have to see color everywhere. Mm. And if we're truly colorblind, you will find in a congregation in a city that has diversity, a relatively diverse representative representation and members and leaders and everywhere else. Um, and also, you know, be careful to. Be careful to lament and genuinely lament the sins of the past. You know, so much of what critical race theory argues is that today's racial disparities are the result of slavery and the result of Jim Crow. And it's this 
history of legal oppression that created trauma and inequality that has just continued through our through our timeline. Um, that's false to an extent. You know, I, there's there's very good evidence, statistical and from history, to show that the majority of the disparities we see today happened actually at the end of the 1960s, and and they coincide with the complete obliteration of the black nuclear family. And in large part, uh, that can be pointed that, that can be attributed to the uh, the very generous but misguided welfare policies in the 60s that actually incentivized fatherlessness. Um, completely different lecture that I could give you another time. But my point is, you can get so caught up in showing people that they're wrong on that point that you forget to acknowledge and recognize that, that our history is full of things that we should be lamenting uh, and that there mm. are genuine and terrible injustices that have happened even very recently because of racism and racist attitudes. And so it's a very important thing to remember that you want to walk that line carefully, always acknowledging where racism does and can exist, always acknowledging the hurt and the, uh, the pain and the consequences of that, and doing so while you carefully push back and help people think through these issues more logically uh, so that you'll get a better hearing from them. Uh, you know, those, those are the main things I try and do when I'm, when I'm approaching this subject with others. Russell, thank you so much um, for being on here with us today. Uh, I know that that has challenged me um, and just been super encouraging. Uh, I know that uh, you, I'm going to have to listen back to this podcast like three times. <laughs> I feel like you used a lot yeah. of words. That. No, I probably did. Yeah. So if you felt like listening to me was a little like drinking from a fire hose, uh, understand that we've actually been in the, we, we've been working on a series on critical theory and critical race theory for a year. Mm. I think we have 10 episodes slowly walking through it. And I just gave you basically all of it in 20 minutes. So, <laughs> so if you want to slow down and listen through this and, and follow the arguments and get a lot more illustrations and more history and background, yeah. I'd encourage you to check out that series. And the last point I made. And w- real about, quick, what was that podcast again? Yeah, it's Defend and Confirm Podcast. We're on YouTube, uh, Facebook. You can get us on uh, Podbean or iTunes Podcast if you don't do video. Um, I think we're on Spotify. But basically, the the last point that I just made, you know, I I said that critical race theory all rests on this foundational idea that today's racial disparities are always and only the result of racial discrimination. In our last episode, we took every one of those common disparities and we worked through them piece by piece. We went into the data, we looked at history, we looked at the arguments, and we took them apart and showed that there is a better explanation in every case. Uh, It's a long episode, but if you're into that sort of thing, it's a really good resource. It's episode 54 of our podcast, and it's called Our Critique of Critical Race Theory. Nice. I'm going to check that out. Perfect. That excites me. Thank you so much, Russell. Um, yeah, absolutely. For for those listening uh, with us, we went a little longer today, but hey, it's okay because this is a topic that needs to be talked about, needs to be flushed out. And this is, we went longer today, but like Russell said, there are lots of things to talk about, lots of things to flush out in this. Um, if you guys. It's have, my fault, not your fault. No, it's oh, okay. No, great. Hey, we're not <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> Um, for, for those listening, if you don't follow us on social media, um, follow us on Instagram, uh, under common room convos, um, check out our Instagram for book giveaways. Uh, we're going to probably be giving away a book soon about critical race theory. Um, 
But yeah, thank you so much for listening. And this has been another episode of the Common Room Podcast.